0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. How are we doing? I'm feeling much more grounded and settled. I'm actually going to be in one place for six weeks, which is insane. I have not done that since the beginning of July. So I'm finally feeling like I can regulate my nervous system, find a local Pilates studio, find a local coffee shop where, you know, hopefully the owner and I can get a little chummy and have my order ready when I walk in. Like, That's the type of environment I am trying to create for the next few months. I have so many goals, so many dreams, so many visions I want to execute. And it just became clear to me, I need to settle down for like three months and really get my shit in order. It becomes so chaotic when you're just constantly figuring out which Airbnb you're going to, what neighborhood is safe, how much is it going to cost, you know, what's it close to? And I'm like, I can't be making all those decisions anymore. I just need a hub. So while I'm waiting on this Portugal visa, which by the way, if any of you have any information, please let me know. It's still TBD of what this digital nomad visa looks like. I'm going to go hunker down for the holidays in Cape Town, South Africa. So it's summer there. It's warm. I have friends. It's cheap. It has the best food in the world, which surprisingly, right, I had no idea Cape Town was going to be incredible in the culinary scene. But yeah, I'm going to be spending the holidays there, and I'm really excited to just have a, a space To breathe and not feel like I'm on the go every three days. So part of this hunkering down to have space to actually plan things out is really articulating the importance of using different marketing strategies that work for me. So I've done a lot of inventory in the last year and maybe even two years, what works for my business, what works for me, my energy, how I teach, how I get leads, how I get sales, et cetera. And time and time again, it comes back to three things. People either buy from me after they listen to my podcast, after they hear me on another podcast, or if I guest speak in someone's mastermind or course. So that shows me that I need to focus on those strategies and not try to invest in like an Instagram social media manager or a reels video editor or upgrade my software that creates graphic design. If I don't need to do that, if I'm finding most of my clients are coming from different areas. And you know, I've been talking about this all year. I mean, go back to the beginning of 2022 content. There are so many episodes talking about things like, is Instagram making you boring? Are there other ways to market your business and be successful without social media? I mean, this is a a train that I'm going to be writing for a while until we start to see how all these algorithm changes and the very aggressive push to video is. I think people are going to start realizing there are other ways. There are so many ways to market your business doing guest blog posts, doing guest newsletters for people, again, speaking in other people's masterminds, panels, summits, like there's so many other ways to market your business. And it just got me thinking of why are we so obsessed with Instagram? Like, why can't we get off it? And here's my hypothesis. I think it's because Instagram gives us truly, the name lends itself to this, instant gratification. As soon as we post a story, we can scroll up and see who liked it, who saw it, we can see how many shares, how many saves, like it's instant data analysis. And it's that dopamine hit and that gratification that keeps us coming back, right? And by the way, I always talk about the dopamine hit and how the algorithm works. And sometimes I feel like it could come off a little (laughs) conspiracy theorist type of vibe. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I used to work in this industry for years and we had meetings with Instagram to understand the algorithms to be able to sell to our clients. Like we literally had a partnership with Facebook who owns Instagram. So I have a lot of insight into how these platforms work. And also go watch the social network. And there's another one about Gen Z, I'm blanking on the name, I actually just saw it on an airplane, where the Pinterest former owner used to talk about this and like how algorithms and notifications are designed to keep us constantly wanting more. I mean, think about it, the idea that someone can like your story that did not exist six months ago you know, leaving the quick reactions like the hard eyes or the fire emoji that did not exist a year ago, maybe a year ago, but not two years ago. That was to make it even easier to get instant gratification. So the engineers on these platforms are constantly working on new ways to keep you hooked, especially with the fact that our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. So knowing this. I can understand why it's hard to break that habit. I still do it, right? I have a literal screen time blocker thing right now. It's, it's actually an amazing app on my phone called Opal. And I still find myself trying to bypass the timer to check if like someone liked it and who's looking at my story and did the guy I have a crush on like it? And you know did that one potential client that we were talking to DMs, did she actually DM me and she wants to sign with me? Like, of course, I'm a human being. I'm not above a dopamine hit on Instagram, right? But here's where things take a turn is when our mental health gets affected, when we start suffering because of comparison, and we can't keep up with the algorithm changes. And instead of thinking, oh, maybe it's the algorithm, we start to blame ourselves and being like, wow, I'm actually really bad at social media. I'm bad at business. I'm bad at online marketing. I hate this thing. And so, you know, reel after reel, video after video, graphic after graphic, we keep playing the lottery hoping that one day we'll go viral and think that that viralness will spark motivation to keep us going. So how exactly do we get off this hamster wheel or better yet, find alternative solutions to these very real problems? Today you're in luck because I have an extremely intelligent guest on, Johanna Renoth. She's a serial entrepreneur and business advisor who invites entrepreneurs to reflect on the relationship with social media and encourages them to make choices for not only the betterment of their health, before their business. Johanna actually runs two brands called Buy Social Media and Log Off Live More. Okay, perfect to describe what I'm talking about. And we get into different topics like the challenges and the downsides of fame and celebrity culture. You know, why is it so exciting to want to go viral? The impact of social media on our mental health and well-being? How to use social media to help your business without burning yourself out? And the importance of having a marketing strategy. Because if you're anything like me, and you love to fly by the seat of your pants and be impulsive, and you're like, I just trust that one day this is going to work out. Eventually, that adrenaline and intrinsic motivation starts to dwindle a little bit. And you're like, okay, it could actually help having some structure and strategy. So we get into that as well. Johanna made a really good point of comparing posting on social every day. It's a lot like playing the lottery every day. And as soon as she said that, I'm like, holy shit, that is so true. And you know, what's even more interesting is she actually wrote a PhD about Instagram. Okay, so I know I've talked about it a lot. I'm using a lot of my own observations and background from my previous work experience to come up with the insights I come up with. But Johanna actually did this for an academic project. Okay, so she has some very serious insights and data to share. So you can hear some scholastically backed insights. I really hope scholastically is a word. It sounds like it. So we're going to keep that in. All right, everyone, before we dive in, just two quick announcements. The first one is the one that I've been repeating all November. If you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win the Interview Like Oprah Masterclass. This masterclass is so thorough, so comprehensive. Every single person that's taken it says they became a confident interviewer after it because I teach you the skills of prepping for an interview, asking questions, and directing the conversation instead of steamrolling it understanding how to direct your guests if they don't really do podcasts often. I also talk about reading body language in it, nonverbal and verbal cues. So again, if you're like, yes, I really want to learn how to interview, or maybe you just want to learn how to speak to people for different reasons, right? It could be for discovery calls, sales calls, speaking to people about collaborating. I think this could really help you with your communication. So again, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Send it to me at info at chelsearipe.com or at chelsearipe on Instagram, and then I'll pull a winner at the end of the month. And then finally, I have opened up my one on one coaching for people to start mid to late January. So if you're interested, check out the application in my show notes. We can also book a discovery call. So you can just shoot me a DM or email and we'll get that on the books. But I'm only taking on three people to start in 2023. An update I have around one on one coaching is I'm really looking to help people that want to make podcasting their main content engine or revenue driving engine. So people that are ready to take their podcast to the next level, they know they have a lot to say. They know they've seen success before with speaking. They understand that the context and nuance involved with podcasting is unmatched and they're ready to make podcasting their main priority. So if that sounds like you, I definitely encourage you to check out the application or more info on my website. We can have a chat and see if this is your best next step. Oh, and I forgot one announcement. Leave a voice note. There's a link in the show notes where you can actually leave me a voice note. Honestly, it's probably easiest to just open it up on your desktop and record directly from like your Apple headphones. So just drop a question about anything regarding podcasting, dating, travel, money, whatever's on your mind. I'm here to provide my non-expert and maybe sometimes expert opinion. All right, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode with Johanna Renner. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm here with Johanna Renauts. She is a serial entrepreneur and business advisor. You currently run something called Buy Social Media, which I absolutely want to talk about forever, Mm -hmm. and Log Off Live More, which I could also talk about forever. So welcome to the show. I'm so excited to chat with you.
1: Thanks for having me. And it's, you know, it's good fortunes that I also love talking about what I do. (laughs) Incessantly. Incessantly.
0: (laughs) Well, actually, this is a good starting point because when I see the, you know, company called Buy Social Media or a website, Mm -hmm. and then also another one called Log Off Live More, you know, my brain glitches a little bit of like, how are you connecting with people? How are you running a business? Mm -hmm. So let's start with how did these companies even start to form in your mind? And why did you found them? Yeah,
1: I want I need to go back on that a little bit, because I write a PhD on Instagram, and I've been doing research on the the social, cultural, and political consequences of social media on and off for several years now. And now, is especially this year, is the phase where the the PhD is really coming into maturity and I've started to sit down and write it out because I want to hand it in early next year. And when I did all of that and read all that, I realized that the way I was living my life and the, the things I was learning through research really weren't matching up. Before I started these two brands or these two companies, I've had this friction internally about social media for a really long time where I saw, you know, I, I tried to market myself as an executive coach last year on social media and it it failed so badly because I, I hated the process. I hated making content. And, I mean, obviously when you hate doing something or you strongly dislike it, then what, what healthy, fun business is supposed to come out of that? And so... With my personal experience and the research I was doing, I realized there's really something going on with social media and how it affects us individually, how it affects us as entrepreneurs. And I wanted to create, out of also the knowledge from my PhD that I have, and make it more accessible to brands or companies that really give that knowledge I've amassed through my research in to people in a more digestible way and also show alternative ways of being a person online or a person in the digital age, because the more and more entrepreneurs I talk to, I hear that people are struggling with focus and people are struggling with, you know, making reels and and things like that. And I really just wanted to open up a door, a portal or an avenue and show people, look, if the one thing, if that's not your thing, there are many other ways to figure this out or there's sort of in between ways of being full on social media and and off social media entirely, where you really get to decide how you can do it and just open people's minds also about what's possible. Because we've also been used to socials for over a decade now. And it's really been, I think, especially in the past five to seven years, I would say since mid 2010s, when influencers and and social media marketing and, and all of that really, really exploded we've just gotten so used to that being the default that, you know, we we don't even question it anymore. Like, do I even want to be on it? To what extent, what feels good, what doesn't feel good? What are the boundaries I need to set personally and professionally that I really just wanted to wake people up to that and show them, look, if you don't like it or if you want to do less of it, or if you feel like this isn't working for me, here are all the options. Here are all the different options to figure it out for yourself in a way that's more supportive and feels better.
0: Wow. Okay. You are preaching to the choir here. I have been talking about, you know, why are we on Instagram specifically and social media if we hate doing it? As someone who also has experienced that friction that you're talking about, you know, spending hours in Canva, downloading all these different social media schedulers, trying to make it work, and then getting a few likes, getting discouraged, not really seeing any uptick in traffic or sales or anything, but continuing to get right back on and do the same exact thing. I know that a lot of this is from the dopamine hit that we get from, especially Instagram, which gives us a notification about every single thing. And also I think if we zoom out and we really point to like, why do we stay on it so much? For me at least, and I know some of the people I've talked to is like, there is kind of this hope that we're gonna go viral, that maybe this is the video that's gonna take off. This is the post that's gonna drive all my course signups. You know, this is the one that an influencer is gonna see and they're gonna wanna collaborate. I think that little glimmer of hope that we do see happen to people, especially on TikTok, that we're like, maybe that could be me. And I think we want that because we identify influencers with people that like make a shit ton of money, but don't work a lot. Like I really think that's <laughs> what the goal is like the f- illusion is. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Like, why do you think we stay on so much if we literally despise it?
1: Mm-hmm. There's, I love that question. There's a lot to unpack. So Let me start by maybe talking about influences a little bit and this idea of celebrity online because there's, I love in my research, I think this is my, one of my favorite parts of the research is this whole question of, well, why are we turning ourselves into brands and what is the end game here? Because when you look at how we're presenting ourselves online, when you look at the beginning of social media, it was, and I'm nostalgic for those days, I'll be super honest, When you could just share sort of cute or interesting photos on Instagram, or even be a bit artsy. And there was a real sense of community around what you were doing. And it was very, it was a way to promote your work a little bit, or just show what you were able to do, but it felt way less commercialized. That was, you know, almost a decade ago. So it's, it's changed a lot. And now, it's really this idea of personal branding that's become so pervasive, even when you're looking for a job, you know, employers check what's on your social media, are you branding yourself well, could you be, you know, we also like to talk about corporate influencers. So there's really a big difference in the early days of social media and now, and I think when you look at, and there's there's a subset in academia that's studying this now, which I find fascinating, is really this idea of, if the end game is fame and, and you know, being Going viral, which I think is also another way to achieve, maybe not fame the way we used to know it or we think about it in terms of an actor or maybe a super famous singer, but just having that same cachet maybe on a small level and being seen by lots of people and opportunities opening up for us through that. It's an experience and an approach to social media that's really throwing us off and that can really warp our minds around around what's going on because after all, you still behind the brand Chelsea or behind the brand Johanna, you're still a person. And if especially if you're doing all this under your own name and you're creating this online persona or this influencer persona that's a little bit like you, but not really you, it can really throw us for, I think, a a bit of a challenge in, in identifying, well, where do I private me? Where do I end? And where does the other one begin? And because we've seen so many examples of people, you know, in the earlier days of social media, you know, especially fashion influences and mom bloggers and all that type of business model or all those types of business models around and, and work out, we already have the precedent that it's possible to build a career or build a business around social media and going viral. But the challenge I see with that is that it's not sustainable. It's kind of like playing lottery with your business. You just, you're just hoping for the magical fairy dust of the algorithm gods to appear and then let you go viral. So lots of people see you. And it's a very interesting way. I think it's not that necessarily, you know, because when we talk about fame and celebrity or micro-celebrity, as researchers call it, it, it might be that when you're listening to this, you think, oh, you know, this is gross. I don't, you know, that's not what I'm going at. I'm not after fame, quote unquote, but it's more the mechanics of that. And I think it, now that that's been going on for so long, we don't even question it anymore. Like, is this what I really want? Or is this the type of thing I want to subject myself to? Because with celebrity and building a brand for yourself and also being seen by more people, we're also subjecting ourselves to the more negative sides of it. You know, the hatred you can get, the judging, the negative comments, the backlash, if you're doing something that's not, you know, people are very quick to criticize online and heap a lot of stuff on, you know, criticism on people, but we're still people behind these brands. And it's very tricky to separate that in a way that maybe, especially when you don't have a team and it's just you, we we tend to forget that that's still a person. So I think that's a really, really complicated thing to navigate emotionally, psychologically. But beyond that, I think what's still going on with social media and why so many people joined initially is this also our human need for being seen and showing our lives to others in a way that we didn't have access before, right? This technology is the cool thing about it still is that you can show your life to the people you care about in a private or public profile, or you can share things that inspire you. You can be seen by other people in a positive way. And that's a a core need we have as humans, right? We exist in connection with others. Nobody's an island, as trite as it might sound to say that. And that's the tricky thing we have to navigate in a way that where people and, he- and social media satisfies a certain aspect of our needs, and it's it can be inspiring and it can be delightful. And at the same time, there's all this other stuff going on in, in many different layers of complications and things that are implied through it and that come through it. And, and you know the, the downsides that we've already heard about on the media, which is you know psychologically it can contribute to your anxiety, anxiety, it can wear down your attention, it can you know, destroy society through fake news and, and, and all these things that are going on. And I think the question really is, well, why are we after? Why are we after this so much? Why is virality so exciting? And I don't really have a good answer for you, to be honest, or for you listening, except that there seems to be something that still is very enticing for us in terms of fame or wanting to be seen by a lot of people or achieving something that maybe is, you know, again, what scholars call micro celebrity.
0: Yeah. I think also there's this idea that if we hit a certain threshold of fame and like when I say fame too, I'm not even talking about A-list Hollywood, you know, red Mm -hmm. carpet. It's more of like, oh, I could get paid, you know, $10,000 for one Instagram post because we've seen that people are opening up about how much they make online. We see influencers, you know, getting flown to Coachella or Greece or getting Mm -hmm. a free box of clothes. Their fridge is full of free things. So I think there's this conflation with like, if I hit a certain level, then I don't have to worry about certain things. Like people will treat me differently. I won't get as much hate. People will adore me. People will like me more. There's actually a really amazing video by the school of life on YouTube called the problem with fame. Mm. And that's what they were talking about. They were like, there's this idea that once you hit fame, like you have no worries in the world, (laughs) you have all the money to buy everything. You know, you have fans and followers all over the globe that adore you. You get everything for free. People roll out the red carpet for you. Or what we forget to see often is like, all the other side effects of fame. Like people don't really treat you like a human anymore. You don't have privacy. Everything you do is watched like under a microscope. So it's interesting that we are chasing something that I don't even know that we really thought all the way through of what would happen if you went viral and had 1 million followers and like 500 DMs in your inbox. I don't think people actually think through the effects of what is on the other side of that.
1: I agree. And I think It's interesting because when you look at the two years of the pandemic, we've just or two and a half that we've just we're about to come out of, it's so interesting how TikTok and and the rise of TikTok really coincided with that. So maybe because you were talking about free stuff and, you know, not having any worries in the world, I do wonder whether I mean the algorithm in TikTok is constructed in a way where it, it still seems that you it's easier to get more engagement and it's easier to get viral. I haven't seen the latest numbers, so I can't speak to that with conviction. But it's interesting that, especially in in those two and a half years that were really challenging and bleak for a lot of people, that TikTok especially took off like that. You know, maybe that is sort of the antithesis to what you were describing—that we think being famous or going viral or the different levels of fame. Also, you know, when I talk about it, I don't also just mean a list. I mean this concept more of being adored and having a fan base that's big enough to support you and being liked by them. Maybe that was something that was just the opposite of what was going on and also gave people maybe a perspective or hope. I don't know. It could be that that's been going on. Yeah. I think the fame aspect, especially of social media is really tricky because when, you know, especially people, I think, apply or societally, culturally, we apply the same amount of scrutiny and, and looking at the behavior of individual people who have any type of following or base or platform online in the way that we're used to scrutinizing A-list celebrities, for example. And while that is also a very challenging journey, I think, to go through behind the scenes, there's also a team around these people and there's PR and there's there's infrastructure. But when we're subjecting ourselves to that as individuals with, let's say maybe a hundred thousand to up to a million followers, something like that, before you're fully professionalized and, and before you have infrastructure around you, it's all on you. You you are the person who gets All that scrutiny, all that hate, all that criticism, all everything that's going on without any filter because you're still or maybe you have one or two people helping you out part time. That's all on you and it's all unloaded on you. And I often wonder why people, if people really reflect on the perceived benefit of being famous like that versus all the challenges that come through it. And when you look to, I think it's interesting when you look to the earlier fashion influences like, or the glamorite they've all exited mm-hmm. they're not doing where they've all built different careers they're all exploring different things while it really seemed that for a couple of years they had the life right being jetted around the globe wearing cool clothes having cool experiences and and some of them have talked about how bad it was for their mental health and for their overall well-being to live that type of life so i think It's really important to have more conversations around this and to make people more aware that most things in life come with ups and downsides. And it's really a good idea to consider if you want the upside, if you're feeling that you're able and capable also to deal with the challenges and downsides.
0: Right. And like you said, I think it's important to point out the team and support that people have, right? Even PR teams helping you deal with negative backlash or comments or how to come mm-hmm. out with a statement and people helping you actually craft your social media together. And, right. you know, as as new business owners, we're usually wearing all the different hats mm-hmm. and we don't have, not only do we not have the team, we might not even have the like emotional intelligence yet to handle negative backlash. That's mm-hmm. actually a big reason. A lot of people don't start a podcast or launch a YouTube. They're like, I'm scared. I'm going to get canceled. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. People are going to you know, quote unquote, come for me or try to take me down. But then there's still the goal of like, but I still want 10,000 followers. Mm -hmm. I still want a brand deal. I still want, I actually do want the notoriety. And I'm curious, like with your PhD research, Mm -hmm. you know, what you studied was the cultural and social effects of social media. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you found a bajillion pieces of gold in there. But what are some things that maybe really stood out to you or like surprised you about the cultural and social effects of social media?
1: what surprised me was i mean many things the the interesting thing about doing this or you know when you're I'm a millennial so me doing this research is so interesting because i'm living it as i'm researching it and for especially political philosophy or political theory which i'm specializing in it's very rare that you're dealing with something you know, that you're looking at from a theoretical standpoint that you're also in a way experiencing and living living it because it's the lived reality of your generation or society at large. I like being able to go sort of from the, the meta level to what's going on in my life and what I'm seeing around me. That's very fun. What surprised me on an individual level was what we know about body image and how social media affects especially visual platforms like Instagram. The more aware, I think, of the effect that has on you know, girls, teenagers, young women. And I was one thing I was surprised about is that the research shows that it, it's not just we think about it, I think mostly affecting teenagers, you know, women maybe or young girls at the age of 14 to 18. And but then I found studies also that go a bit older in age range, you know, into people's 20s, late 20s, and it still has an effect and maybe. You know, you or I, in our personal experiences, or when you're listening to this, I mean, how often have you looked at, an, at a picture of an influence and then felt a bit bad about yourself, right, or your body, or your face, or how you're looking in your clothes and all that? So, I thought it was interesting that there's a bit of an age range and how we're affected in that. And then, what I also thought was interesting is how few studies were done on the guys or outside of gendered notions of what's going on with body image, with that and I found one study that stood out to me that you know looked at teenage guys and young men and how steroid use, for example, and up an uptick in steroid use was an outcome of the, you know, very strong masculine, you know traditionally masculine defined muscular physique we were seeing, and you know, the young men trying to achieve that because it to them seemed that that was the standard of what it means to be an attractive man. I thought that was interesting. But really, the biggest outcome so far is really the depth of how algorithms shape our life in ways where it's not just, you know, oh, it's annoying. I clicked on, I don't know, a penguin video in my discovery section, or I accidentally clicked on this stupid thing that now keeps showing up in my algorithm. It's really the deeper level or the meta level of what's going on when you look at how The world looks, how trendy cafes look, how visually things are starting to converge and it doesn't matter so much anymore which city that you're in. The trendy places all look the same and also how our perception of reality can really be shaped by algorithmic feeds because the algorithms in a way are curating what we're seeing day after day after day on these feeds based on what we've liked in the past. And I think we're just beginning to see the implications of that because we've now for years and years and years spent several hours a day on these platforms and we've now really gotten used to that that's just the way it is, right? I see, I have the feed, it shows me stuff. I'm kind of a little aware that, you know, that is based on what I've liked in the past, but how that's shaping our attitudes and how we see the world, you know, politically, socially, culturally, I think we're really just beginning to see the reality of that and become aware of that in in real life and in our lives. I was really surprised to see, or through my research, to come to that conclusion, how how deep that reaches, how language is changing through technology, all these things. I thought that was fascinating and a little unsettling, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I mean, to your point, if anyone's seen The Social Network, which I highly recommend, amazing documentary, it talks a lot about this and the effects, like you said, specifically on adolescence and, you know, the way we use filters and wishing we actually did look like that. And it's funny because when you read the research, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, adolescents will be struggling with this. But I'm also a millennial. And I do think there's this, like, cognitive... <laughs> dissonance almost that like I'm not that affected you know like I yeah I know I'm on it a lot and I know that Mm -hmm. I could definitely cut back and yes I'm a little triggered when I see this person made one million dollars last year and this that and the other thing but it still kind of feels sometimes like oh but it's not that bad or like I am above the implications but if I'm actually if I'm really honest with myself and start zooming out and doing any type of self-reflection I'm like, wow, I do waste a lot of time on these platforms. Mm-hmm. And I know you've actually talked about how much time we're on social media. Do you have specific yeah. stats on, you know, how much time we really are on our phones glued mm-hmm. to these apps?
1: Yeah, it, it depends. So it depends a bit on age group and also geographic region. There seems to be, I mean, obviously, boomers are on social media, a bit less than gen, I mean, significantly less than millennials and Gen Z. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. At the same time, they are starting to catch up. And when I look at my parents or my mom's generation around me, I can see <laughs> I'm observing their social media use. And it's very interesting, because as you might imagine, my family is always thrilled when I tell them, you know, put your phone away. <laughs> you can't be on this so much. And, and then there also seems to be regional differences, for example, between Latin and North America, or Latin America and Europe, and you know also questions of internet access and all that. But on average, it's about two to two and a half hours a day that we spend on social media, and about four and a half to five ish hours on our phones. And when you know the things that you were just sharing about how you know you you might be triggered by posts, or the effect it's having when it all sounds a bit like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm 34 now. Of course, I'm an adult human person. That's not going to affect me. I know what's going on. But when you think about those two to two and a half hours every day, it's practicing. You know, when you when you scroll for two to two, it's a, let's say that you scroll for two hours every day and you take in certain content that's based on what you've already liked and that the algorithm thinks it needs to show you so you stay engaged on those platforms longer it really creates more and more of the same and when you think about that you're really practicing a certain intake of information and a worldview, and you know attitudes and habits and and everything that you're observing what else are you practicing for two hours a day you know i can't think of anything really or are you if you compare that that intake that you have there With any other activity in your life, what else are you doing habitually every day, for two to two and a half hours, probably at the same times a day? You know, in the morning when you're having lunch, in the evening when you come home from work, or when you disconnect from work if you work from home. What else do you do that's so habituated in your life that you do it over and over again every day for a pretty long period of time? And I think that's really where where this is getting tricky because we I'm not really a fan of fear-mongering around social media and being like, oh, this is all making us stupid because that's silly. But the point is that we really need to learn to deal with these technologies and become more empowered and more discerning about how we spend our time. Because yes, part of it is really wasting time. And the other part is also what are you feeding your mind with, or what are you watering your mind with every single day for several hours a day? Is that really what you want to have in your life, right? When you when you feel that something is not supportive or something is triggering you. Like, do you really need that in your life every day for several hours? And I think that's where we underestimate it because the attitudes that are shaped by that and the the content we take in, it does something to us. It does something to how we see the world in big and small ways. And it's really the question of do you want this type of worldview to shape who you are? You know? Yeah. Again in big and small ways. I'm not just talking politically, but really smaller attitudes around you know what would what you perceive as beautiful what's a style you like what's food you like if you see it long enough it's kind of funny because you start questioning it's like wait do I actually like this or do I like it now because the algorithm has showed it to me for 500 times and I'm also considering I don't know bleaching my my eyebrows because that's cool oh yeah or like a
0: bucket hats <laughs> which I swore or, I would or, never yeah. wear and somehow I was wearing one in Paris last year I'm like I swore I would not do this but they blew up on Instagram and became a fashion trend. So yeah, that's a, a small example, but I agree that I think the problem is that when we are doing it, it doesn't feel like two hours. You know what I mean? If I'm emailing Mm -hmm. for two hours, it feels like two hours. If I'm running for two hours, it's like anything for two hours feels like it. It's just because we are literally tapping something with, you know, pad of our finger. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't even register that we are consuming things because in your mind, Mm -hmm. this is like a passive activity. Like I'm not actually sitting in a lecture class, learning something. I don't have to take notes. I can just ingest this Mm -hmm. information. But I think something, and I would love to talk to you about some like strategies to really scale back or even get Mm -hmm. off of this is understanding, like doing inventory of what are you taking in? Because something I really realized was like tapping on stories was very jarring, you know, it'd be like, a horoscope of the day, then, you know, Ukraine news, then Kanye West doing another scandalous thing at fashion week. And you're like, holy shit. Like in the matter of 10 seconds, mm-hmm. I've seen wildly different messages that my brain is like, Whoa, that's funny. That's alarming. That's inspiring. That's cute. That's cool. And it's like, yeah. I can't even digest it. And then because I can't digest mm-hmm. it, it seems to be like the action I take is like, let me just keep scrolling and maybe I somehow will figure out something I want to stop on. Mm -hmm. But it's like, that's not even how the platforms were designed. So I'm curious, you know, what have you found when you even say we need to be more discerning and pretty much boundaried Mm -hmm. around how we use social media? How do you even start to take steps when it is so addicting?
1: Yeah. I think that is a great question, especially the, I want to be careful with using the word addictive because there's, you know when we look to tradi- you know sort of psychological terminology there's a certain a concept around addiction that i feel like there are now also re- there's now research into smartphone addiction in terms of you know or alongside the traditional categories that you use in a in a therapeutic manual to decide you know somebody's addicted but so I would be careful to use that term, except for when we really talk about the phenomenon of smartphone addiction, but the compulsive need that you might feel to check, or just the fact that it is so incredibly hard to not be on social media, that that really can make it feel like you're addicted. Or if you really feel that this is a big problem, that you also need support that's different than just saying, oh, I'm going to set some boundaries on it, if you really feel like that's interfering with your life. Or you're really feeling that addiction is a word that could apply to you, then it's a good idea to also seek out professional counseling around this because then what I'm what I'm about to say might not help you anymore. It might just be a cute band-aid to put on to something that needs a different type of attention. But if you are not in that category and you're noticing that this is getting out of hand, and, and also if you're going through this with Chelsea or what you described Chelsea is this chaotic intake of different types of content. I think the first thing is, you know, feel empowered to just unfollow accounts and people. And because there's no point in really putting something inside your mind, that's just going to make you feel gross or anxious or whatever it is. And there's a different, there can be accounts or content that Maybe feel in the beginning a bit stressful because they're giving you, you know, they're expanding you, or maybe they're just pushing a button. But in the end, you feel like, okay, actually, I learned something from this experience. And that's also not what I'm talking about. Just really what you described, Chelsea, this idea that this is really making me feel like crap and I don't even know how to process that is one of the easiest things you can do is go through the list of accounts you follow and do an honest inventory of is this actually adding anything to my life and it could be just i like their style i like their makeup i like you know where they're traveling this is inspiring to me it doesn't have to be all high and mighty like oh i'm getting philosophical value out of this of course if you do great but it you know again we're all we're alive and, and not everything needs to be you know on on a very high or meta level but really look at it and it's like is this adding to my life and if it's not a clear yes then try unfollowing that account and see what happens so really be thorough and discerning about who gets a space in your apps in you know also your attention in your mind who lives there rent free and who actually deserves to be there because something positive is coming out of, of those accounts in your life and. Yeah, it can feel a bit strange unfollowing somebody, especially when you know them. But then again, if you don't like what they're posting or if you don't like taking in what they're what they're putting out there, then what's the point of it? So there's there's something I like to call the, the guilt follow when you follow somebody and you, you just do it because you would feel guilty to unfollow them. Maybe it's also a good point in time to explore that and see why you're still following them. If, if it's not adding anything to your life and you just feel... You're just there because you feel bad to leave. I think that's a a great first step. Then the other thing I always tell people and always recommend is to turn off notifications. That's really, it takes a couple of minutes and it's really, really powerful way to protect your attention and your sanity because notifications are there to keep pulling you into these apps, even though you don't want to. And they're there to, because we live in the attention economy and because attention is really is such a precious commodity that we have as humans, right? When there's way more content out there that we could ever consume in our lives, then the ability to harness our attention or to capture our attention is really powerful and it translates to money and earnings, essentially. So if you want to be more empowered about how your attention is being used or where your attention goes, just turn off all the notifications, you don't need it. Because that way, at least you check your Instagram when you want to, and not when Instagram tells you to, because, you know, it wants you to come back. So you leave more data on there, it can show you more ads, that type of thing. And the third thing that is also really important is, and all these three things I'm suggesting, they don't cost any money. And they're one-time actions. Well, two are one-time actions and the other one, the third one is a habit. And None of them even ask you to download, a, you know, a software app or anything that costs any money. And the third one is to be very conscious of your bedtime and your time in the morning and how you use your phone and you know, especially what you do around social media because that thing that you just described is with the stories. Imagine you do that, you do that right before you go to sleep, and imagine all. The anxiety and the stress that's causing to your nervous system, and the overload that it's causing to your brain, and then you expect to fall asleep right after that—that's not going to work, right? You can't sleep when you're stressed. So you're you're already fumbling with the quality of your sleep. Also, the blue light from our phones does something to our uh, the melatonin production in our brain, which is responsible for how well we sleep. So you're creating a cluster munch for yourself by watching. Instagram or TikTok in bed that causes you to sleep less well than you could then you wake up in the morning you're already a bit drowsy and the first thing you do is you roll over in your bed and you look at your phone and then you start scrolling so the last thing you do is stress yourself with stuff you're taking in online and the first thing you do is you just repeat or you, you know you keep continuing that cycle of stress and boundaries around that for example I'm not going to look at my phone at least an hour until I go to bed before I go to bed, or I'm gonna start reading a book in the evening before I go to bed, or you know, I'm gonna spend it more intentionally with my partner. And the same thing within the morning, I'm not gonna look at my phone at least half an hour until after I I woke up. Those things are so precious because they allow you to close your day in a calmer way and improve the quality of your sleep and they also allow you to start your day in a way where it's not you know if the first thing you do is you open your phone and you have all the information in the world and all the stress in the world avalanche in on your brain and you're starting your day stressed you know stressed like crazy or you you're stressing out your nervous system then how are you going to do any of the cool things you want to do in your life and how are you going to have any sort of Quality of life in your life that, that really merits the word quality of your life. If the first thing you do in the morning is just, just stress yourself out. So these three things, you know, notifications, unfollow, <laughs> unfollow anything that doesn't spark joy. And then being mindful of morning and evening routines around your phone already game changes because they lower your stress level from taking in content. They lower your, you know, dependency on these apps. They give you back your, More sovereignty around when you check and what you check. And then they also help you start your day in a way that's more intentional and more stress free than what you've done before. And then, of course, there's more things you can do. Um, But I think these three are really, really important.
0: Okay. I need you to stop calling me out because I have done the (laughs) phone in the morning and the phone in the evening. I don't know what it is. I think it's because, to be honest, as a business owner, and I know there are people listening that can relate to this you feel like if you are not on social, kind of similar to an email inbox, Mm -hmm. you might miss a DM where someone wants to work with you. Or someone's like simply asking a question about your course that you Mm -hmm. could answer that could get them to enroll and you could have a new student. Or it could be someone reaching out about a collaboration opportunity that you've been waiting to hear back from or that you want to work Mm -hmm. with them on. And so it's this kind of, it goes back to that like lottery thinking, I think that you were talking about is like, I don't know, like this could be a day that I have 10 DMs mm-hmm. where people want to work with me. And I think personally, outside of me being on it, because I am traveling so much and I meet incredible people on it, I also mm-hmm. connect with podcast guests on there. There's so many upsides, but equally, there are so many downsides that it's actually really hard for me. Like I mm-hmm. have put my phone in different places, but then I moved it right back to my bed. You know, I have muted accounts, I've unfollowed people, I've tried mm-hmm. to. Overload my account with like just horoscopes and like astrology, and and try to you know change my feed around. And like for some reason, there are just some things that don't stick, and it it seems so hard. So like if you were talking to someone like me, who it's like I you know logically know to put my phone on the other side of the of the room or not even in Mm -hmm. my room. Like I know blue light is affecting my sleep. I know I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Like but I can't seem to get off. Like are there other tactics or baby steps that we can do
1: yeah for sure and i love that you're talking about this because it's a lot of i think with the things we need, we're we doing about this we really need to take into account that these platforms are built you know especially social media to keep us scrolling and capture our attention as long as possible and there's there are behavioral scientists behind you know how there's there's really an intentionality to all of this design and how these things work that are meant to keep us scrolling and keep us on there. So if you're struggling with this, it makes sense because it's literally the stuff is built for us to stay on there against our own better wishes. So that is what makes it really, really challenging and tricky. I think what really also helps is having a social accountability around this. So for example, if you have housemates or if you have a partner, if you live with people, it helps to set up maybe an agreement and say, look, I'm struggling with this. Let me help stay accountable and have your phone outside of the room, maybe in a common area or put it in a drawer, buy an alarm clock. So there's really the less incentives you have and the higher the, the physical barrier or just the, you know, the cost quote unquote for you to check your phone in the morning or evening, for example, the easier it is to not do it. But when it's the less friction there is the more challenging it is, I think, to not check or not do these things. So I think the social accountability part is really helpful because you can also build motivation around that and encourage each other in these lifestyle changes you want to make. But then you also talked about, you know, being a business owner on social media and how challenging it can feel to not check DMs or not, you know, to check messages the first thing in the morning. And I do want to speak to that a little bit because I see I've gone through it myself. And the big one of the biggest reasons why I'm not on social media professionally is, is that I did the same thing and I noticed it was becoming unsustainable. I wasn't moving the needle in any way and I was just building my business on on these lottery type platforms, it feels. And it was making me miserable because you know I wasn't having any success, but I was also noticing it was making me miserable inside because you know once you start thinking about oh this could be a cool post on instagram let me take take a photo something's happening to your perception of the world and it just went downhill for me from there and i think if that is going on i think it's also an important question to ask well you know more about the nature of the business that you're building and how the role that you want social media to play in that and whether you can for example set up systems around that what can you do to help yourself to decrease the pressure you feel to for example answer right away or you know to be really on top of your dms several times a day and where that expectation is actually coming from why do we expect from each other to answer dms immediately i think it's it's totally fine for a business to also you know especially if it's a small business to Wait for a couple of hours or for people to, to become aware that there's a human behind these accounts who's running the show and that it's totally fine if they take a couple of hours to answer you. Maybe they also need to sleep and they'll get back to you on the next day. I think we, we need to normalize that a lot more. And I think we can also support ourselves as small business owners with, you know, there's chat bots or auto responses you can set up, for example, for your DMs that say, Hey, it's, you know, fantastic that you're reaching out. I'm, so looking forward to talking to you i'm really mindful of how i use social media you know i'm also mindful of your mental health around this so you can expect to hear from me within 24 hours something like that that lets people know hey there's i'm going to hear from you and manages their expectations at the same time when you can do that just to ease the pressure and really also rewire your own brain around what expectations are you creating for yourself around how you're running your business and that's honestly that part about social media and business bothers me so much because we're we've created this idea that being on socials is the way to run a business it's really messy unless you have really hard boundaries around that which is so challenging because these platforms are set up exactly opposite to what we need to do to maintain these boundaries And also social media as a way to build a business. It's great in a way because it's accessible, but also in many ways, I feel like we're, I'm not sure whether that is sustainable business building, to be honest, when you're not you personally, Chelsea, right? I don't want to call you, Adam, just, I'm really, this idea of how we're building businesses on social media, especially small business owners. I've, I've had this conversation with so many people, or like, this is really burning me out and I hate it and I feel the pressure to respond all the time and I feel like I can't keep up. And I think the most, you know, the first question is really why Why are we doing this to ourselves and why is this really the way that we all think we need to build a business when there's lots and lots of different other ways to market or ways to combine different channels and outlets and ways of being in touch with our community that are not as messy for us in our mental health.
0: Yeah. I think really when I think about it, because I've thought about stepping off social media or like drastically scaling back. And I think if we're, if I'm being honest, it sounds like I'm limiting my income opportunities with a platform that technically is allowing me to do free marketing. You know, there's no cost to access it. I can connect with people whenever they can connect with me, whenever, you know, the accessibility factor is extremely low. And this is something I talked about with Amelia Ruby on my podcast Mm -hmm. was, you know, there's a myth that because the platform is free, that that is the way to build your business. It's almost almost designed to be like, we're doing you a favor, you know, like you get to grow your business for free. But what we don't realize is we're trading in our attention and our focus, which are, like you said, probably the two most important things in actually building a sustainable business and growing it. I personally have found it to be extremely challenging, especially as a digital nomad, I Mm -hmm. want to do these projects that require like blocks of deep work, right? Like writing a book is not something that I can just dedicate 10 minutes a day to and hope to get any type of progress done. Like I really need to strategize, but Mm -hmm. because I'm on social media, I'm like, well, wait, this course is coming up. I need to post graphics. I need to do a reel. I need to send an email. By -hmm. the way, I still have current clients that I serve. I'm constantly Mm -hmm. trying to keep up with my podcasts. Like it's just so so much to think about and yep. i my question essentially is like do you truly believe that the same opportunities exist for people that are on social versus not
1: i think it depends as with everything in life i do want to before i answer that i want to i want to point something out that you said which i think really gets lost in the conversation around socials so what i like about socials is that it is The threshold to access on there is really low because, as you were saying, technically from a financial point of view, it's free to be on there. But when we look at the cost of socials in general, and I think this part of the debate is just not, we're not having this enough. And why I really want to say this again is you're paying for social media with your mental health, with your ability to focus, with your sanity, with the quality of your sleep, with You know, also the hours and energy you invest that you could probably invest in other or partially invest in other sectors of your business. And I, you know, I'm not here to tell anyone who's listening to this go off socials entirely, but just reflect to what extent do I really need to be on there? And also what we're what we also need to talk about way more is. If we don't like it as people who are scrolling or if we're perceiving all these challenges and we're posting content on there as business owners and we're promoting ourselves as business owners on there, which I do understand part of the rationale of doing that, we're keeping each other locked on these platforms that right now nobody, well, I can't speak for everyone in the world, but it seems more and more people really have concerns and gripes about and are realizing that they're not good for them. But because we're as business owners, or, you know or as influencers, people you know who are doing stuff on social media for whichever reason, you know, wanting to create any type of business around that, because we are serving our communities on there, and because our communities are on there also because we are on there, and that's the way that we connect. We're just tying each other to these platforms more and more and more when it's really the question of, do we want this? Is this really how we want it to be? That everyone is kind of miserable, you know, everyone in every, literally everyone I talk to about social media has, I haven't met anyone yet who says, yes, I love social media. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I enjoyed so much and I've never had a problem with it. It's really, they're really challenging more, more or less so for some people that, but there are challenges and it's really the question, of why, why are we doing this to and with each other? About the other part of your question, I think it really depends on what your business does, how established you are. So the one question, for example, is, do you need to build a business right now off social media or do you already have an audience on social media, maybe a little bit on your newsletter? And do you want to migrate your audience? Because those are two different questions. And what do you do? And I think, for example, when you create let's say fitness content that is highly visual where maybe you want somebody or yoga or whatever it is but where you want to see the movement then i can see that visual platforms like instagram tiktok or youtube are a bit easier because people can actually see actually see the thing that you're doing but then also you can be intentional about how often you post for example and whether you want to direct people to your own site or vimeo or other platforms or you know maybe you share an exclusive yoga video once a week with your newsletter there are ways to incentivize people to go to different platforms or you can build a community for yourself or you know if you really want to (laughs) go if you want to be super ballsy with this there's now it's it's actually accessible to build your own social network it's not cost prohibitive anymore because you can build it on No code platforms or there are service providers who do that for a really accessible sum of money. So if you have a larger community, you could go all in and be like, you know what? I'm just going to create my own social network. That's fine. But really the question is also time, you know, for example, but then I also think that building a following on social media is, is work and it takes time minus the viral effect, you know, the lottery ticket coming in again or building. A newsletter consistently, building your blog and your SEO consistently, doing podcast interviews consistently or community workshops or PRs, all these things. I think the amount of work you need to put in to build a business is probably about the same because the initial thing needs to happen and you need to do something to get it started. But the big thing about social media is that it's so ephemeral. Most of these platforms, except YouTube and and Pinterest right now, so your content is really short lived and it keeps you in the loop where you need to produce more and more of it. Whereas on these other channels like newsletter or SEO or, you know, YouTube and Pinterest, if you want to be on there, your content works for you a lot longer and you can repurpose it better. And it's not just, you know, posted and then it disappears in the feed or it disappears in stories. It's there and it's doing work for you. So I think doing marketing off socials. At first might feel really counterintuitive because everybody seems to be on socials. And at the same time, I think it's a way more sustainable and robust way to build your business than putting most or all of your eggs on these platforms that are right now not really loving on us so much. So, and again, if you're not sure if this is something for you, at least write a newsletter. <laughs> at least make sure or do a podcast or do one thing outside of social media and not on another social platform, but really outside of social media where you can make sure that if your socials go away or something happens, you still have another way to connect to your audience because that, that is the trickiest thing I see that people lose access to the platform they've built for whichever reason. And uh, you know, boom, there goes the business.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up all those different tactics because I think something that we don't do too, I'm speaking from the eye, but I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people can relate to this is because Instagram and TikTok have quicker reaction times. Like, you know, when Mm -hmm. I post, I know pretty much within 10 minutes, someone will interact with it, right? They're going to DM me or like it or like my story. Like I know there's going to be a reaction at least within an hour. I think mm-hmm. with podcasting, because there's actually, you know, you don't actually respond to someone's podcast episode. You have to either email them, go to their website, go to their Instagram, whatever platform you can think of to talk to them. And with mm-hmm. email, you can see when people click on it, but it's not that public adoration, right? We don't see the, yeah. the comments yeah. in the feed or, oh, my crush looked at my story and he liked it. Like that doesn't happen on these other platforms. And I think that's why business owners can start to get a little confused of like, why would I build an email list or a podcast, mm-hmm. which is so much work when I could just quickly, you know, film myself talking to a camera and real and get a quicker reaction or quicker engagement. And I think what you and I are making argument for is that stuff is fleeting. First of mm-hmm. all, the second of all is to your point, the algorithms are constantly changing because the reason they're free is because they have advertisers and investors. They need mm-hmm. to make those people happy. And the way they make those people happy is by taking all of our attention and focus away. So the things you have to think about as a business owner are where are your sales and leads even coming from? Yeah, Because this is something that I didn't even realize. I was spending so much time on Instagram because people do interact with my stories and I get DMs and I'm here thinking, oh my gosh, you know, Instagram is this huge driver of business. But when I actually look at where every single signs up for a course, every single person who signs up to, podcasts with me or signs up for a course or my one-on-one clients, they all come from something that I did outside of Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it's like you said, why am I spending 95% of my day focusing on Instagram when I could flip that model, which is what I encourage people to do now is we don't have to get off social media. We can stay on it, but like you just said, we don't need to put every single egg that we have into this basket when it's such a competitive and fleeting platform. Mm
1: -hmm. For sure. And to your point, engagement is great and followers are great. But as a business, ultimately, at the end of the day, where's your money coming from, right? Which channel or what are you doing? Where where your clients and where the money is coming from? Because even if you want your content to inspire and even if you want, you know, you have very high ideals and values, which I certainly do too. The question is, where is the money coming from? Because you're running a business. And if none of it is coming from Instagram, or if it's 10% on Instagram and 90% from something else, you really need to ask yourself the question of how you're spending your time and energy on something that is yielding so little for your business. And also to your point, I think the, the quick reactions, I, and I really get that because it's nice when somebody likes a poster and it's nice when somebody comments on it it feels like at least you're doing something where you're feeling the feedback, right? And especially in the beginning, when you're beginning to build a business, it can feel such like such a lonely and uncertain slog because you just don't know whether what you're doing is resonating with people or, you know, you're starting to get, you know, making a sale here and there. And, you know, s- things are s- slowly starting to build and that can feel frustrating and also really uncertain. And Instagram where you know, especially all this stuff and material and all the freebies and content calendar templates and, and swipe files for captions and all that that's out there is also giving us a sense of maybe security in how to deal with that uncertainty. Because if everyone's doing it like that, then, you know, great, at least now here I have I have the how-to and I'm just going to replicate that. And, and at least I'm going to feel a bit more certain and more safe about what I'm doing. But the instant gratification that you might get as a business owner from having somebody like your post and I've certainly felt that too when I still used Instagram or social media professionally that also gives you a high or a rush of certain emotions right it's the dopamine again it's like ooh, you know somebody like this but if it doesn't translate to sales in the end or if it doesn't translate to income you really need to ask yourself if that makes sense to have and also with the instant gratification, the emotional roller coaster you're putting yourself through every day several times where it's, you know, and also to your point of what you were saying, if you have bigger projects and you want to do deep work and you constantly interrupt yourself by checking social media, and then you either feel disappointed because somebody, nobody liked, or, you know, not enough people liked what you're doing, or you're getting a bit of a high because now all of a sudden you have five more followers and, or, Fifty or five hundred more followers. I mean, you know, for all that matters, you could have five thousand more. You certainly deserve it. The high from that, or the, the disappointment when things aren't working out, you're putting yourself on an emotional roller coaster every day, which is very distracting to the thing that you're doing. You know, you, the service you're putting out, the work you're doing for other people, the one-on-one clients you might be serving, or the the product you're developing because you need to manage those emotions first and also what it does to your neurochemistry when those things happen before you even can go into the work you're here to do. So that I think is also something that people way underestimate how much it can really toy with how you feel and how much you need to be the things you need to do to go back to sort of baseline emotionally and to go to a place where you're less giddy to actually now be able to sit down and focus again on on what you want to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something even with podcasting, you know, people really pay attention to their download numbers. And I'm like, look at, if the point is to bring in leads, go look at how many leads you're getting, right? Instead of mm-hmm. how many download numbers and same thing with social media, like you said, why does it matter if you're getting 10,000 new followers, if no one clicks on your website or like there's zero applications, no one's signing up to work with you. It's like, it's almost counterintuitive. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that earlier we talked about some tactics and strategies I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, guest speaking, building your SEO, working on your blog, like there are so many other valuable ways to spend your time and that will actually yield probably not only larger results from like a sales standpoint, but deeper connections because you're like you said, you're building your own hub of content so that people can come to you versus going on Instagram and I'm seeing 4,000 messages within one day, 2,000 pieces of content. It's like, that's not even that's the hang up is like we put all this work into the graphics and the reels and everything. And we're like, wow, this is going to feel so special when people see it. But the reality is like they're seeing it for barely 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Unless they are saving it and sending it to the group text and having a conversation about it. That's a once in a blue moon opportunity. So I think that's, what's disheartening about being a business owner is you're like, finally, like I'm, I got my message clear. I worked on my branding. I'm ready to share it what happened? Like, why is this not moving the needle? And I just want to encourage anyone, if you are in that space listening right now, it's not your fault. Like these algorithms cannot show all the content to everybody. They have to figure out a way to get out the most important engaging content. And a lot of this is like what we've been talking about. It's like a slot machine kind of depends on the time of day. Is it a holiday? Are you in a different time zone? Did you post a reel or a static photo? Like there's all these different factors you have to consider. So I think maybe a takeaway on my end would be start strategizing other ways you can build your business that are offline, that are a little more lead generating. And also how can you build more content in your own world, like an email list or a podcast? And Johanna, I'm curious, are there any final strategies, breakthroughs, anything that you want to share about scaling or getting off, scaling back or getting off of social media?
1: Yes for sure. And I want to say one more thing that you tag on to what you just said is, what I also noticed about social media marketing is that people, for a while, it was possible to put out cute photos on Instagram, for example, or witty captions and use the right hashtags and build a pretty decent following on there. And it's gotten way more complicated. So the strategy of, okay, I'm just going to make cute content and hope for the best is really you know, speaking to the frustration that you're describing, and the hangups that a lot of entrepreneurs go through online is really not working anymore. And what I wish somebody had told me years and years and years ago, even when I, you know, before I did what I do now, before, you know, I had to start it before. And even even when I started out being a part and full-time freelancer years and years ago, was that a marketing plan, marketing plan is not a dirty word. And it doesn't need to be this corporate thing, you know, or marketing strategy that sounds sometimes I think a little removed from people's realities as a small business owner, but really sitting down and figuring out, you know, who am I talking to? Where are they at? And the question of where are they at, especially in the context of social media is so interesting because if people spend two hours a day on socials and we have 24 hours in our day and we sleep eight, then there's still 14 hours elsewhere outside of social media, right? And the question is, where are they at, where you can find them? So you can get creative with that. And, and really, you know, what happens after that to spend maybe an hour or two, sketch it out. I mean, you have a free template on, on our website also to do that, that walks you through it and sketch it out and really... Just make a basic plan of and think about why you're using which platform to what end. Especially if you're listening to this now and you know you're finally like oh, you know finally somebody's giving me permission to be on socials less or not anymore. Before you're thinking frantically about starting a newsletter and a podcast and doing your SEO and workshops and all of that, take a moment to reflect and also take a moment to figure out what you actually like doing before you. Box yourself into the next sort of thing that you think you need to be doing just because you now listen to this podcast or somebody else said, you know, SEO or newsletters, the game changer. They are really great tools. If you flipping hate writing, then putting out a weekly newsletter for your marketing is probably going to be a tricky thing as opposed to, you know, if you're great at talking or networking, then maybe other Channels or other things might be a better idea. For example, being a podcast guest or hosting your own podcast or building a community of your own, which takes a little while, of course, but where you're really, you know, putting your people skills to practice. So I think we need to move away from this idea of one size really fits all and there's only this one way to market and think more about, you know, it, think about it more in terms of a basic plan of, well, Who am I serving? Where are they at? How can I get them to enter my world? What happens once they enter my world? And when do I show them the cool stuff that I do? And once they have bought for me, how do I keep them around as an appreciated person for my business, as opposed to just going at it frantically or with a trial and error approach of like, hey, I'm going to make you content and see if that's going to work out. Because it's not been working out for a lot of people. And it's a lot of wasted time and energy if there's no financial return you know, for your business where there's no no clients are coming to you that way. And I I really wanted to point that out. Even if you sketch it down and just think about it for an hour, I think that's a really, really good way to do to think about your marketing and be more intentional with what you do than just throwing content on socials. The other thing, if you want to move away from socials in general, it's gonna feel and I can share with you what it felt like for me in the beginning. Part of it might you know, when I deleted my LinkedIn, because I, I hated being on LinkedIn with a passion, it felt very relieving. But it took me a while to get to that point, because I was I was experiencing so much FOMO. And for a while, I thought, this is is this going to be a really, really stupid decision? Because I had a little bit of, you know, not that much, but I had about a 1000 followers on LinkedIn. I thought, hmm, you know, that's at least something. It's not nothing. But in the end, it, I waited for a while and I felt out the pros and cons and I came to the decision that it, it's for me it felt a lot lighter to not be on there and that was very promising but I also you know if you've listened to this and you know I all make it sound really good or it sounds really promising to not be on there for me it was a process really of, of deleting LinkedIn of you know deleting all the content or archiving it on my you know remaining Twitter and Instagram and really thinking about how I want to use it and how I, what are the intentions or what is the purpose of still keeping those platforms. And I only have my professional Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram, for example, because I want people to, at this point, be able to tag me, for example, when I do a podcast appearance. So it's as easy as possible for people to find me in my work, but that might change. And it's really fine to do this in a gradual way. And also I think Especially as a business owner, one of the, if you already have a bit of an audience on social media, one of the best things you can do is take people along the journey and really let them know what's going on with you. Because I think more and more people really understand that socials are challenging. And I think they will be supportive if you let them in on the journey and take them along. And and another thing is also, if not everybody comes along, that's also a great way to edit your prospective client list a little bit because it's very easy to give a follow on social media but the follow doesn't necessarily mean commitment to you or you know intention to buy something from you whereas you know maybe the step of handing over your email address or joining somebody's community is a bit more it could be a bit more buy in or if somebody's willing to transition from socials to a newsletter with you they're probably really into what you're doing because they're willing to do the extra step. If somebody's not, you know, and if you've been talking about this for a couple of months, then maybe they're actually not your target customer anyways, or they're not within the group of people who are likely to buy from you. So I think there's also a lot of positives that can come from, you know, especially if you're thinking about scaling down on socials and moving to other platforms that can come for that. And, Also, there are different ways to think about social media in your business, especially, which could be that you could use it the way I am. You can delete them entirely. You can keep up a couple of static posts to, you know, sort of walk people around your services. You could decide that you're just going to scale down the number of posts you do in a week to, you know, really protect your sanity or your time and energy a bit more. You can set up autoresponders for DMs to let people know. You know, when they can hear, when they can expect an answer from you. All of these things already help you take a step back and give you a bit more space to breathe without, you know, making a definitive decision at this point in time. It allows you to play with it a bit more. And I think also when you can get to a point where you can be a bit more playful with it and it feels less strained and less stressful, that's really nice. I think also for the content creation process, because content creation can be so much fun you know and i think maybe as a last parting thought the cool part of of all these platforms and everything that's out there and available to us is that you can be like the editor in chief of your own media house right you can figure out it's like the magazine of you or the magazine the whole suite of different content opportunities for your brand or for whatever you want to put out into the world you can you, know, you can have your own magazine your own radio show you know with a blog and a podcast and you know, like your own tv show if you want to do videos and that is so cool and I, I really want to encourage you to take as much advantage of that as possible and get really creative with your programming and just because somebody else is doing very cute sort of earthy colored posts right now then it's great for them maybe that's a perfect choice but with the own magazine or you know with the own your own content that you're creating feel empowered to be your own creative director and your own editor-in-chief and really be allow yourself to be more intentional and creative with it than just replicating trends on socials because that's so boring honestly Yeah, I love the editor-in-chief hat that you get to put on I
0: mean that's a good point like go back to when you were younger what did you love to do like there are so many ways you can express yourself and even Mm. with podcasting like what I do usually is a solo episode or an interview episode. Do you know how many podcasts there are that are not like this at all that you can make it work for you? Whether that's a deep dive investigation into a topic you're passionate about, or you just answer listeners' questions anonymously, you do live coaching on air. Like There are so many ways to make these platforms work for you. So I love that idea of like, what would you do if you were Media House and they were like, you can do whatever you want if it's out of the box it doesn't matter we want to see what you come up with like that's a a way to kind of reinvigorate your passion for content creation which i think a lot of us have lost in the last few years
1: yeah it can feel very transactional and i think when creating content and i think a lot of us started out with this attitude that like oh i have these cool ideas and this cool stuff i want to share with the world but then once it becomes a chore and you're posting on the clock and you're for a lot of people, I think it's really challenging to post on a content schedule. Less because of the consistency, but more because you know, if you have to make three or four posts a week, and then you know, also write a newsletter or do, do this and that, there's really also the question of burning out. Right? Where is all that content supposed to come from, especially when you have all this pressure around building your business based on the content marketing that you're doing, and it's really. When you look at it fundamentally, it's really like you you just said it, Chelsea. It's like you are if a media house were to approach you and said, Look, anything you want to do, what is it? Because literally that's what's available to us right now. And most of it at no no actual cost or at a cost that's a, a at a very low threshold. And I think that's actually really, really exciting about this time that we're living is that we have all of these opportunities and all of these things we can do with content creation online that I I really want to see people tap into and and feel you know or you can you can create you can think about it like a zine right or you can do quarterly themes or you can do you can for your podcast every season you pick a topic that you want to dive into that's what I wanted to do for a while but then it turned out to be a bit too much work for where I am right now in my business you can get so playful with it and that is I think for you as a content creator or as a business owner, infinitely more fun. And I'm also certain that with all the content that we're seeing that's so alike and and also a lot of this content that I call junk content that's just created from a place of pressure and feeling like you need to post because it's been, you know, you post Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays and today is Wednesday and you just have no idea what to say, but you know it's Wednesday, so you need to post. As viewers, we've also become really savvy and I think people really feel the difference when something comes from a place of crap, it's Wednesday and I have nothing or you know, this idea of I'm going to be my own creative director, I'm going to be in my own media house, I'm going to do whatever is exciting to me and really communicate with people through that place of joy. I think that is so much more satisfying to do for yourself and also so much more satisfying to consume, to watch, to read, to listen to.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, Johanna, I could talk to you for 20 more hours about all these different topics, because I am equally as passionate. And I love that you actually studied this in a PhD program and really just learned again about the cultural and social effects outside of just, you know, my lived experience, which is what I'm basing all of this off. Of. <laughs> so, Where can people find your work? Because I know they're going to want to know how to scale back or get off social media?
1: Yeah. So first off, thanks for having me because I really love your show. And I'm always so excited to talk about this and how people break out of the mental boxes that they build for themselves around, you know, how they think they need to do things online. So this was wonderful. And I'm very grateful that I got to be here. If you want to connect with me, if you want to do marketing without social media, go to buy, like goodbye, socialmedia.com. If you want to learn more about how you can can disconnect intentionally, you know, I have more content also coming on attention management and productivity and all these things. You can go to logofflivemore.com. And if you're interested in my work, then you can go to johannarenoff.com, where I also share my own work in this I have a mini podcast that's called Johanna's Podcast, <laughs> where I share, you know, thoughts on on all of these things that we talked about once or twice a week, which I really enjoy because I enjoy talking. So that's also a good place to start. And you can't find me. I mean, you can find me on social media. You can follow me or DM me, but I don't read the DMs. I'm not on social media, you know, professionally. So the best way to reach out is just, you know, go to any of those websites and send me an email. (laughs) And I love to hear from you. So don't feel shy about reaching out. It's really totally okay. And I really enjoy getting emails.
0: Amazing. I love this. I love that you have a whole business based on helping people scale back because I know a lot of us are wanting to know how to do that. So Mm -hmm. I know this conversation will be well received. And thank you so much. I'm glad we got to chat. Me too. (laughs) Thanks so much again. Well, there you have it. Someone who did academic research on this and provided so much data and insights and ways that we can shift our focus to something else to support our mental health and well-being. Make sure you all go connect with Johanna. She has so many more amazing pieces of advice and information around this topic at buysocialmedia.com, logofflivemore.com, or her website, johannarenoff.com. She also has a podcast and an amazing newsletter. So if you're like, wow, yes, I really want to reframe my relationship to social or just get the hell off of it, then you definitely want to check her out. I loved this episode and it was so reaffirming to know that there are other ways to do business. There are other ways to connect with people. We don't have to do things just because the majority of people are. And I hope you feel the same way. If you found value out of this episode, I would super appreciate a review and rating You can leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave that, send a screenshot to info at ChelseaRife.com or at ChelseaRife on Instagram. And then I'll enter you into a giveaway to win my interview like Oprah masterclass. This class is truly one of my favorite things to teach because as you all know, I love interviewing. That's why a lot of my episodes are guest episodes. And I've been doing it for basically 10 years now. I started learning how to interview back in college when I took a whole class on reporting and hosting. So I'm bringing all the skills, all the knowledge, how to guide conversations, how to prep for them, how to make your guests feel comfortable and open up. That is one of my superpowers. And I'm here to share all the knowledge with you. So again, just send your screenshot to info at chelsearipe.com or at chelsearipe. And I will pull a winner at the end of the month. And just remember, if you ever want to work with me, check out my website, check out the show notes. I always plug in the most recent information there. And I want to hear from you all with a voice note feature. So leave a voice note to the podcast. You can find a link in the show notes as well. And I would love to answer any questions you have about the podcasting space about starting one, dating, travel, money, truly whatever's on your mind, I just wanna plug in a really fun segment into the episodes and DM me, DM me on Instagram. If you're like, hey, I wanna ask you this, but I'm not sure, shoot me a message and I would love to tell you if I wanna answer it on air. I'm a pretty open book and I love talking on air. So I'm pretty sure whatever you send, I'll be okay with talking about. So yeah, slide on my DMs, check out the link in the show notes to leave your voice note and hopefully I can stitch it into an upcoming episode. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.